everyone. Welcome back to Stop, Drop, and Watch Bridgerton. This week we are covering episode seven. I'm Kat. And I'm Sabrina. And today we have a special guest, our friend Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Liz. I started watching Bridgerton because I am very influenced by those Netflix ads I get on my Instagram. (laughs) And then I watched it in a 24-hour span. Episode 7 begins with Daphne vigorously playing the pianoforte while Simon is shooting pigeons outside. I enjoyed this. It's kind of like shots fired, (laughs) but they are both shooting what they can. And for Daphne, she really is able to use the pianoforte to convey her emotions. I think John, our previous guest, talked about how annoying it is when someone plays very loudly near you. And I imagine Simon is completely pissed off by Daphne playing. I've been to the range before shooting clay pigeons, to be clear, not live pigeons. And when you're shooting, it takes a lot of concentration. In fact, in all honesty, I did not hit a single one. So, (laughs) and there is no pianoforte passive aggressive wife on my face either. I was a little taken by this because I played piano for a large chunk of my childhood. And a pianoforte is like an earlier version of what we know as the piano. I didn't think it was that loud. I was, I understood like the dramatics here. I was like, okay, like this is clearly for TV. Liz, I'm curious. Last episode we talked about is Marina's French good, but I'm curious, is Daphne a good pianist? I'm very surprised by her. This has got to be fake. I, I was like, she is, it seems very good. I don't understand how she's just composing. So I thought it was a little unrealistic. I think I- What they're trying to show is whenever Daphne kind of realizes something or has some new experience is when she is composing the most, right? Like she was able to finish her original composition in episode five, I think it was, after reaching her pinnacle. And this is after a huge betrayal of her husband. In the next scene, we're back to a formal dining room again. They're fighting like children. And I was like, remember the good old days when they first got to Clive Dead and they were like, but whatever will the servants think? They don't care at all anymore. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, the the childish aspect of this was heightened when she was like, tell, tell this person that this. And he's like, tell the Duchess that I think this. And it's just like... <laughs> It's so painful to listen to. Sabrina and I went to high school together. That's how we're friends. And it reminded me of all the times our friends who were dating would fight. It was 100% just like that. Then the Whistledown report arrives and the Duke tells Daphne that, you know what, I'm coming with you until we know whether or not you're pregnant. Rewatching it, I was wondering why specifically is Simon want to keep an eye on Daphne? Like, does he think that Daphne's going to lie and not tell him if her period comes? Does he think that Daphne's going to cheat on him and try to get pregnant with another man in the meantime? (laughs) Like, this is like what my mind was going to. So I think if I were him, he was coming with her because he actually still deeply cares about her and their family. Remember, Anthony is supposedly his best friend. This is the first time that they're maybe dealing with a real scandal on their hands. Like everything else was just kind of a rumor before. And I think he just wanted to go with her, but he was still mad enough that he didn't want to say, oh, it's because I care about you or I want to be there for you and your family. So he used the, let's just see if you're pregnant. I did have a question here as to like why Lady Whistledown's pamphlet is being delivered to their country estate on their honeymoon. Maybe their family forwarded it to her. I doubt that too, because they think, you know, she's just got married, she's happily wed. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know from the carriage scene in the inn, we know it's at least probably a day's ride away. So them getting the news and her making it back to London so quickly is pretty impressive. From there, we get to see the Bridgertons and Eloise is actually at the Modiste getting her dresses and hems dropped for her debut. But Eloise is still trying to delay her coming out and... There's a lot of talk here about should it come out and how much did this affect the Bridgerton name? And I think what Eloise is most concerned about here is Penelope. And then she has a moment actually with Genevieve who overhears her and they talk about Whistledown and how Whistledown can both destroy someone, but it's also possible that she can rebuild a reputation too. I was curious, Kat, did you like Eloise's new dress better. You know, I actually didn't notice it that much, to be honest with you. So I'm guessing it wasn't better, but 
I don't know. I actually think it's it was super similar. I think all they did was lower the hem. So I wasn't sure like how much of a change this made, but they all oohed and awed at it like a very big deal. I mean, I do think it's strange to come out mid-season. That part yeah. was weird to me. The only thing that maybe makes sense is if your older sister gets married, like we were talking about before, there is some sort of order to this. So then if that happens mid-season, maybe it opens the door and makes it more acceptable for Eloise to come out, not waiting for a new season to begin. I thought... This was just for practice? I mean, practice, but it's also still like effectively a debut, right? It's her first time being out. It's also, there's only one debut, you know, that's what debut means. Yeah, I'm disappointed she didn't get her debut in front of the queen, like waiting for the beginning of the season where, you know, that beautiful scene in the beginning of the show. Kind of disappointing to come out halfway through. I mean, Eloise is so awkward and also so hates it that I don't think she would have enjoyed it nor have done nearly as well as Daphne did. So maybe it was a calculated move that she and the Viscountess made. From there, we get a small scene where we see that Lady Featherington was trying to get Marina into like a, basically a house for a pregnant single woman, but they won't accept her because she will not give a very large donation. I was wondering, like Lady Featherington here looked... Obviously, she looked disappointed, but I was wondering, we talked in the previous episode about her having more of a maternal instinct towards Marina now. Did you get to see any of that? I think I actually did because they're really out of options now. Not only is Colin out of the picture, but everyone knows Marina is pregnant. So even like the Lord Rutledges, assuming he weren't already engaged, they can't marry her without it being shameful for them too. So it's kind of ruined her chances in that sense. And I think Lady Featherington was just trying to figure out, like, what can we do? It did remind me, though, of those, I think they were the Magdalena homes in Ireland. And those are actually like this horrible, tragic thing that we're only finally understanding just how bad they were and how many deaths they covered up, how abusive they were. And I would hope that this one was better. It was in the middle of London. It seemed it didn't seem like they traveled anywhere to get to it. So maybe it wasn't like that, but I thought about it and it made me worried for my favorite character. I don't know. Like I, I did think a little bit about that last episode or the episode before when Marina is giving Colin that speech about how she's not wanted by anyone and like everyone gives up on her. It did kind of remind me of that because even now that her and Lady Featherington have created some type of relationship, she's immediately looking for a place where Marina can go and leave the household. So it did make me feel a little bit bad for her. I mean, I do feel bad for Marina in general, her situation. I just don't like what she did with Colin. You know, I'm already also a Lady Featherington fan, but, and I'm using my only real Regency era knowledge, aka Jane Austen novels. I think at this point, when you are deemed a fallen woman, there's really no other options. She couldn't actually keep Marina in her house with her other single unwed daughters. Like, that was just not acceptable. You couldn't do it with your own daughter, let alone a distant cousin. Will it catch? Will a condition catch? It is an interesting thought. The the catching thing made me think, oh, you mean, like, could feminism catch? Like, is that what they're worried about? That women would take agency over their, like, own bodies and, and things, you know, in a very academic sense. One thing that I've, I think I've come to a decision on is that the way that Lady Featherington is portrayed is sort of, like, villainous because she doesn't really put empathy over reality and it it almost annoys me because i was just like why pit the head of the bridgerton household against the head of the featherington household they're both trying to do what's right for their kids but one is like clearly written to be this lovely empathetic motherly can't do any wrong and then the other one who's still again worse circumstances trying to do the best for her kids is is portrayed as this like villainous terrible woman but yeah it makes me uncomfortable actually this particular foil in the series so daphne and the duke arrive back in london and they have an awkward parting yeah actually speaking of mothers and perfect lady bridgerton maybe not so perfect because daphne is really throwing some barbs out there hinting that she's been holding out on her for all those secrets the whole family is kind of caught off guard by this because they haven't seen daphne in a long time now and they assume that everything's probably okay like the scandal is passed and they're happily together but it definitely was a very interesting scene where there are a lot of subplots kind of coming together in one place it's just another time when daphne is being like very high school in my opinion it's sort of like yeah maybe your mom didn't have the birds and the bees talk with you but 
like you're here now like taking your anger out on her is not productive it made me very annoyed with her one thing i did really like from this scene is the change like i think before daphne was always their burden they were taking care of her but lady bridgerton points out to anthony here that they need daphne and her approval can help them out of the scandal so from here colin and daphne get to meet alone and Daphne pretty much airs it all out to Colin, saying that you're really lucky you got to know the secret of your intended before you had to get married. And I mean, like, fair point. Like, I, I feel that. I think she's learned by this point. She's really letting it all out there. They're going to tell everyone that Simon and her are having problems, it seems like. I think they're, the servants know, and now the family knows too. Right. And I think this is interesting compared to previous episodes where you made this point once, Sabrina, about how she has all these barriers up and that's why she doesn't have friends. There is no more barriers. There's no more filters with Daphne anymore. I'm actually pretty surprised by how open she is by her relationship problems. Colin tells Daphne that he knows it should be over, but his heart won't listen to logic. And, you know, it's again, this kind of like sappy moment. And she agrees to help him talk to Marina. Everyone else, the whole family had been telling him, no, you can't. Like, this is just going to cause more of a scandal. Yeah, I was I had a question, actually, about this scene for the two of you, because I'm an only child. But, like, Daphne is his younger sister, right? Like, this is his younger sibling coming in to take care of him. And I was wondering, for you guys, like, I mean, I know Sabrina's the youngest, but what would it mean <laughs> if, like, you're young? How would you feel? Like, how do you think Colin's feeling as an older brother right now? His sister, his little sister has to save him. You know, that's a great point. One I hadn't really thought much about before, but you're right that I think it would be really weird if Sabrina had to suddenly step up and save me from some decision I had made. If I remember correctly, there's only a year between them. So it's actually probably more different. Like, Sabrina and I are six years apart. You know, that's enough. So that, like, no offense, I don't think you've ever stepped up and saved me or rescued me from something. But even with my little brother, where it's only like a year and a half between us, I think there have been times where he's, like, covered for me, especially in high school, you know? But you're right. I think it would be really weird. I was pretty surprised that she offered to do this. I I didn't think it really fit with the Daphne character we've started to know so far. But I think what she really pointed out here was she understands when the heart won't listen to logic. She's like, it is like that sometimes. And so therefore I'll help you. But I was curious, why do you guys think that she offered to do this? I think the flippant answer is that he started questioning her about, hey, what's going on with you and the Duke? And so she was trying to just get out of that questioning. But I think the deeper answer is that he said things that kind of touched her and resonated with her and her relationship difficulties with the Duke, where similarly, her heart didn't listen to logic either when she kissed him in the garden. This is 100%. She can't fix her own relationship. So like, (laughs) let me see if I can fix Colin. (laughs) From there, someone who also gets help is Simon, both in the physical sense of getting beat up and also getting some sense beat into him by his friend, Will. I, I couldn't help but wonder, like, what would Simon be without this friendship? I also want to point out that Mondrick is the third real person in this series. And so I'm really glad they gave him such a good part here. I, I'm glad they're, they're sort of honoring the real person. The Duke returns home and runs into Daphne, aka catches her peeping on him. Oh, the stare scene. <laughs> I, I mean, like, this is just their relationship. They like blowing up at each other. They have an argument. Then they make out. Then they have, like, some very creative sex places. Like, he goes down on her on the stairs. Like, it looks really uncomfortable, but apparently she doesn't mind. Stairs, ladder, doesn't matter. When she tries to invite him to go to the bedroom and continue, he's like, nope, nope, nope. And then he tells her, if you're pregnant, I'm going to stay and I'll be loyal. But if you're not, we're going to live completely separately and be married in name only. These two are clearly super into each other, physically, obviously, but also we've at least been led to kind of believe that they have this deeper emotional connection and friendship that they've built as well. And to have, it almost, honestly, it almost seems like he's rewarding her if she's pregnant. Does it not? Even though that's what he's trying to avoid, the like, I'll be loyal and stay versus the if you're not pregnant we'll never see each other again isn't this the opposite of what he's supposed to want so i took this as like okay either we'll be together and i'll perform my duties but like i won't be happy about it and you'll suffer anyway (laughs) like it's his way of punishing her either way is what i thought and they never discuss the fact that she you know took advantage of him she assaulted him and so of course he's going to be traumatized from it Then we have Marina being summoned to the Bridgerton household. So this is Daphne giving Colin a chance to talk to her. 
And you see that Colin did not want to believe it. He didn't want to believe that she was pregnant until he heard it from Marina's mouth herself. And she tells him that she'd held him in great esteem. Yeah, I just... Kat, do you do you actually believe now that Marina loved Colin? I know you thought so in the past, but this was just like a verbal slap in the face. I still believe that Marina was beginning to fall in love with Colin, that he'd offered her enough of a sense of belonging and family that she'd never had before, that she was starting to fall for him. The other thing I kind of think, and I know he took this line really badly, as did it seems you do too, but at least she didn't lie to him and be like, oh no, I was madly in love with you. What are you talking about? She's not trying to trick him or you know make him feel more conflicted about what's happening. She's being honest that she respected him. And I also think a lot of times we overlook how important respect actually is in a healthy, long-term relationship. It's not just all about love and passion and whatever we see going on with Daphne and Simon. I feel like many of us have been in relationships where you really like, maybe even love the other person, but you just can't quite respect them for whatever reason. And it'll never work out if that's not true. I just like feel like that, like what Kat just said is exactly what every best friend tells her girlfriend when she's like, this guy sucks, (laughs) right? I have a very vivid memory of Sabrina being like, why are you dating this guy? You clearly find him boring. I do think Marina is speaking truthfully here. It's just not what Colin wants to hear. Like Colin has been head over heels in love with her. He assumed she was the same way. And to hear her not say that, like it must feel like she just was acting the whole time. She comes off very cold in this scene, I feel like. like she's closed herself off to him now. So I think it's just like what you wanted to hear versus what you get. And that's hard for Colin to take. I think it's to me, it's what you wanted to hear versus what you needed to hear. Colin will never move on if he believes that they are some star-crossed lovers who have just been torn apart by this. And I think Marina is being an adult here by telling him, I respected you. No, I was not in love with you yet. And he he needed to hear that even though he clearly didn't want to. I also wanted to comment on the wardrobe in this scene. At first, Daphne's dress was the most modest dress we've ever seen Daphne wear so far. She really moved into I married territory really quickly. It's funny you say that because in my opinion, it's always the married women in the show who have their bosom most out. If you look at... For example, Lady Bridgerton's outfits, they are pushed up so high. It is not natural. Like, your boobs do not start right at your collarbone naturally. So (laughs) I think it's just more that they no longer have to be seen as super pure once they're married. Also, Marina's outfit in this scene, her all-orange, completely concealing cape. I don't know why, but it gave me very, like, scarlet letter vibes to it. Almost that she's been marked by society at this point, and... Uh, It's just so different than what we've seen her wearing prior in the series. Right. It was also very Handmaid's Tale-y with that long coat of a rusty orange color. Again, like putting her in that role of fallen woman. Because if you remember The Handmaid's Tale, it was only women who had transgressed in some way that became Handmaid's. I also was curious what you guys thought of Daphne overhearing this. This is her first time chaperoning any conversations, and this is a pretty big one to overhear. I think it was actually really important for her to hear Colin and Marina talk about what would have been, I think they called it like a fraud of a marriage, because that's exactly what she's going through right now. And you could tell that it really, this one hit a mark with Daphne. I think Colin says something along the lines of like, if you had just told me, I would have married you. And I think that particularly resonates with Daphne. Like, I think they show her face right after, and she hits it like, what if we had just communicated? What a, what a marvelous idea. <laughs> so I think that's a great point. I do have to say, though, on Team Marina, that that felt like completely unnecessary for him to say that just as he was leaving her. Like, way to try and guilt her, make her feel like a bigger sense of regret over the breakup. It felt very much like a, you've hurt my feelings now, what can I say to most hurt you? And it was just insult to injury at that point. Yes, it was mean, but she... She's taking a lot of heat for her decisions, but he's taking heat for being involved in them. And his whole family's gotten pulled into this. So I don't necessarily begrudge him for saying something like that. I mean, his heat is people kind of looking at him with pity or laughing behind their hands. Her heat is she's about to be sent to a Magdalena home. Like, it's not even comparable the way that men and women are treated in this society. So I think when you say the heat, I'm like, people are just like laughing a little bit at him, but everyone knows he'll like dust his shoulder off and get engaged again. Yeah, I think that's fair. If she would have apologized, I maybe would have 
then like he didn't need to say that. Mm-hmm. I think his personal heat is that he feels as if his heart has been broken into. Like that's why he's saying it. Is he being dramatic? Yes. Will he be okay? Yes. Does he realize the enormity of what will happen to her? I don't think so. I don't think he understands what's what's next for her. A lot of my friends always think it's really funny that I'm such good friends with many of my exes. But here's why. You don't have a bad breakup. You don't say things to hurt them when you're leaving the room or leaving the relationship. Clearly, he thinks they're never going to see each other again and says, this is the last time I'm going to see you. So he feels, I guess, okay, just like completely throwing salt in the wound as he exits the room. But there's no secret magic to staying friends with exes. It's date genuinely good people and then have an amicable breakup. Wise words from Kat right there. (laughs) From there, we move on to the next scene, which is the Queen's soiree. I love the cherry blossom theme. I was excited to see a pretty scene again, especially after how disappointed in their wedding I was. I thought it was funny that Lady Bridgerton says, oh, all of us are together again because Daphne's home. I'm pretty sure Francesca's still in Bath, right? (laughs) (laughs) As a middle child, I was like... All right, you know, like, why have eight kids if you can't even keep them straight? Like, she's like, everyone's here for Francesca. (laughs) Though I did love Lady B's fashion in this scene. Like, her pink silk dress, it really almost felt like kimono-esque to me. And and I I loved it with the cherry blossoms. And it wasn't blue for once. You know, huge deal for her. The Bridgertons are changing. Also, the queen comes up to Daphne and Simon and tells them that she has a bet on there being an heir within the year. And as someone who's in a long-term relationship, I was like, this is, God, so rude. Only a queen could pull this off. But the amount of pressure that everyone is putting on them to have a child, they, you know, they're maybe a month, two months into being married at this point. It just reminds me again of how it's actually really difficult to conceive in some cases. And there's a lot of infertility problems. People still put so much pressure and they love to joke around about it with newlywed couples of like, oh, when's a baby? I'd love to be a grandparent. And it's actually pretty hurtful. And it's clearly hurtful for these two, even though they act like it's not. This scene for me was really just showing that uh, I know Kat, we commented when Simon gave his speech of love to the queen before that like, wow, he's a really good actor and kind of a liar at the same time too. Like he boldly told the queen, like we're working on it. And again, I felt for Daphne here because they've been fighting and he's still pulling these things. I know he's doing it to like play it off, but it just feels so, so two-faced. Yeah. I mean, if I were Daphne, I'd be like, this is so many mixed messages from this guy. And then they kind of, you know, continue to snipe at each other a bit. And this seems to be the first time that Lady Bridgerton actually overhears them arguing and her face, it just falls. Yeah, I feel like she always just tries to give an excuse for why Daphne or they could be feeling that way. But I I think she's definitely in for some disappointment here. And this is her first glimpse at it. From there, we get another conversation between Granville and Benedict. Where Granville's like kind of basically joking about, I don't know, his sex life or the partying and how like they miss him there. But Benedict is so uncomfortable with this conversation and he like immediately has to excuse himself. And the couple looks really worried like between Granville and his wife. I found the scene to be so confusing because he's already had an, an interaction with Granville where he's like, it's what happened? You know, it seems like he's fine. And so I wondered here, how can you be so upset to have slept with somebody else's wife? Yeah, I was actually confused. I, I, I thought it was that he was uncomfortable with Granville's sexuality. And before, I think the way we took his comment of like, I didn't see anything, like I don't know anything, as being like he was like playing it off cool. And now I wonder how much he was just trying to be like, I'm sweeping this under the rug because I don't want to have to deal with this later. I mean, I think Liz is right that from the last episode, we assumed everything was fine between them until he realized that one of the people he slept with was Granville's wife. And now he's being really awkward about it. I don't know what that means. I don't know if he has feelings for her or what's like happening in his mind right now, but he's clearly regressed back. And you can tell, like you said, the Granvilles are worried. Now they're worried about him outing their lifestyle and what they've been able to hide and make work for them. And then you can really see that Eloise is his sister in the next scene when she has a conversation with the queen and she commands her to figure out who Lady Whistledown is. She's so awkward again. Benedict's sister. I think they're actually each other's favorite siblings. And I mean, here's why. They're my favorite characters. I've told this to Sabrina many times. 
the two of them together, like in particular, I think is my favorite part of the series. The Featheringtons arrive at the luncheon. Everyone looks at them. It's super awkward. The queen scowls at them and it, I have a puppy now. It looked like she was like almost baring her teeth at them. The looks between Eloise and Penelope, where they both pretty much look like they're crying. And Eloise makes a big promise here, saying that she's going to find Whistledown and not only figure out who it is, but command her to write a retraction on the story about the Featheringtons. Even if she mirrors out who Lady Whistledown is, even if she blackmails her into saying like, oh, that wasn't true. Marina's not pregnant. Marina actually is pregnant. This is going to come out. I really don't understand Eloise's plan here. This just made me want more female friendships in this series in general, because this was very endearing to me. And I was like, feel like, I don't know if this series passes the Bechdel test, but I would love to just see more of, of this, of women supporting other women. I, I joked to Sabrina before, I'm actually not sure that this series, at least until this point, has passed like the reverse Bechdel test, where there are men, two men together discussing anything other than a woman. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not sure. I would have to do a third rewatch to figure that out. Yeah, I don't think Eloise makes the best promises that she can actually keep, but... I do think she does say them to make Penelope feel better, which is a good friend. I mean, okay. I, mean, I think I just have really high standards for my female friendship. I don't want my friends to give me false promises about they have a solution if that solution is so completely unrealistic that even while I'm crying, I can see through it. I think she must be used to Eloise by this point. She must just understand this is her personality and this is what she's trying to do to mm-hmm. make her feel better. This seems like a very Bridgerton trait. Anthony tries to make things right. Daphne tries to make things right. They all try to control these situations. <laughs> Lady Featherington tries to play off that she didn't know about Marina. Nobody believes her and she is asked to leave the party. Again, you know I love Lady F a lot, but I really felt for her here. Can you imagine going to a party when your whole family is kind of in shambles? You're broke and no one knows yet but they're probably going to know soon if Genevieve doesn't keep her mouth shut and she's just been kicked out really made me feel for her yeah it it really just is gonna feel like the straw that broke the camel's back here like there's just so much stacked against her at this point I'm hoping in future seasons we'll get more of her backstory the way that she's portrayed really, again, makes me think of Julie Cooper from The O.C. because she was also like from kind of like a poor family and magically Cinderella fell into the upper society. And something tells me it's similar with Lady Featherington. That might be part of the reason why Lady Bridgerton looks down on her so much. I hope we get some of that backstory. Yeah, and one note on this scene is that Daphne specifically calls out the Cowpers for their behavior and trash-talking the Featheringtons here. And we talked about, like, Daphne's really changing. Like, she Mm -hmm. probably would have never done this before. Right, and then she runs off to the private garden by herself again. You can't can't change that much, Kate. Like, it's one episode. (laughs) Yeah, it's her classic move, running off to the garden. But I have to say, this one was actually worth running off to. Sabrina, you said it, this luncheon is very beautiful, but this private space in particular, I thought was super beautiful with the wisteria in full bloom and Lady Bridgerton follows her and they have a confrontation. My takeaway from the scene was that mothers always know, like mothers always know when something's kind of awry. And Daphne does take it out on her mom here. Like she tells her, you didn't set me up to know anything about marriage. Right. And I agree with you. I think Daphne is taking out her anger and frustration with her relationship with the Duke out on her mom a bit here. But I also think it's fair that Lady Bridgerton should have given her at least the basic understanding of how children are made before she sent her out to her wedding bed. So this Daphne and Marina scene, it was really touching. The second watch through made me appreciate it and like look at it a lot more in detail here, where Daphne apologizes to Marina and says she understands her more than ever. And Daphne, I feel like, is the older sister to Marina here that you would really want. She also gives some really, like, good, hard advice, which saying that, you know, why should you be left alone to deal with this when it was both of your fault and especially his responsibility? And I was just like, Marina needed to be told that because she was going to go and take all of this on herself. It's a much better help than Lady Featherington has given her this whole time, by the way. Like, Lady Featherington, if she really did care for Marina's well-being, could have done this from the start. And from there, we get to see a little bit of that Lord Featherington 
and will meeting or basically Lord Featherington is asking him to throw his next match so they both can make money from this. I like Will a lot. His immediate answers of like, my honor is not for sale. is like, yes. But then it's the manipulation in this series for me that it, it feels so bad sometimes because Lord Featherington basically goes at him and says like, you're going to wash up. Like you won't be able to support your family in a few years. Like, what are you going to do then? And, you know, I also wanted to comment that he is like ballsy as shit here. Like he gets like thrown up against a wall and still keeps going. Like I know he's desperate, but still I was like, oh, that's like, you just keep going. I have to say, Will as a character is getting more and more interesting to me. I think in the early episodes, he was really just a prop for Simon to talk through his problems with someone other than Anthony or Daphne. And getting to see him come into his own, to have his own storyline, kind of exciting. I hope we see more of this. Then we have Rose and Daphne talking about going to Lady Danbury's all-matrons party. And Daphne asks her, is the general's wife going to be there under the assumption that I'll go if she's there in order to help Marina? And Rose is like, yes. And she says it with like such good expression that similar to Mondrick, I I would love to see a whole episode on Rose and figure out, you know, what's her story? What's going on with her besides just her as a side character to all of Daphne's plots? Yeah, I do wonder about her sometimes. Like when she has to explain sex to Daphne, I'm like, is she married? Is she dating? Like, what's she doing? <laughs> like, now I want to know more about Rose's love life because it seems more fun. <laughs> I think part of it is also that we're both feeling frustrated by the... <laughs> Simon and Daphne love story and relationship at this point. Like, it just feels like they're really dragging out this dispute between them. That said, this party scene, one of the best scenes of the whole show, it looks just like so much fun in there. And maybe part of it is because I've been at home for like the last year, not going to any parties. But I think even if it weren't uh, lockdown days, it looks like fun. Now that I'm married, I hope people start inviting me to those matron parties. Yeah, I love Daphne's dress is amazing. <laughs> like the amount of embellishments and how sparkly it is. I'm like, why, where was this at the wedding? I actually thought she was dressed less than the other women though. Like the other women have like those like plumes of feathers and all this stuff. And I was like, dang, she looks like so boring in comparison. I think part of that is again, the, even though she's married, she's still somewhat like the pure innocent maiden and she doesn't go over the top in terms of makeup or what she's wearing. And they're being heavy handed here with the costume design. I think also no one texted her being like, hey, this is the dress code. I also want to (laughs) say, this is a scene that made me want to know more about Lady Danbury. As far as we know, we don't know if her husband is living or if she's been married. Why does she have her title? Like, I have so many questions. And because she's like one of my favorite characters, I just want to know more. Like, how does she get this whole house to herself? Where is her money from? Why does she get to be this independent, strong woman? Yeah. I also wondered, did Lady Danbury purposefully seat her with the general's wife? Did she know that she came to talk to Kitty? Yeah, I did wonder that too. But I also feel like Danbury, I was thinking about this while Liz was talking, I was like, kind of feels like she's like the queen of the underworld, like the real queen. (laughs) She knows everything that's going on and everyone respects her and fears her. That would make sense why she didn't really truly curtsy to the real queen then. This is also the scene, by the way, where I think Kitty speaks to how she lives separate from her husband. I think this is pretty important to Daphne's story because it's the first look that Daphne has of a woman who is married, doesn't live with her husband, they're separate, and she's still happy and fulfilled. Yeah, I, I was pretty touched by this. I feel like, you know, there's a, it's COVID, so there's a lot of different support groups that have popped up, but just hearing someone else that had a similar, similar situation to you makes it feel like you can take this on. So during the gambling scene, Danbury is kind of making some comments to Daphne where she's like, all it takes is a little time and perseverance and you'll get it, Daphne. Like, I know you're a quick study. Like, I was wondering if she has some double meanings here beyond just the gambling game. Right. I mean, my first thought was like, oh, is she encouraging her on how to get pregnant? Maybe teaching her it takes more than one time. But also remember, we just saw Daphne crying to her mom in the garden. And I think this is her way of trying to encourage her a little bit or reassure her that Marriage is tough work. Can you imagine the difference if Danbury had given the birds and bees talk to Daphne instead of Lady Bridgerton? Oh, man. (laughs) 
Liz's point from before is a great one here in terms of, I guess, Lady Danbury doesn't have any children of her own or they're gone or estranged. Like, we, we really don't know. Yeah, she's a great mystery. Uh, so from this scene where the girls are having a party, we move to the boys club again. And I was actually even the second time I was pretty tricked. I thought it was Sienna walking in the club. And they end up having their confrontation after they're both kind of like dancing around it for a bit. One of my favorite parts was when Simon asked Anthony, doesn't it get tiring to pretend to be so perfect? And it's like, hmm, where have we heard that before? No wonder why Anthony and Daphne are each other's favorite siblings. They're the same, right? Though, I mean, to Anthony's credit, he defended, he took Daphne's side on this. He's like, Daphne's not capable of fucking up so badly. Right. But Simon also brought up Burbrook again, which I think we've talked quite a bit about bromances before and how quick guys are to resolve their problems. But here you can see, oh no, it's still a raw wound and maybe they papered over it, but it'll come back out again. It'll rear its head again with some good brandy. Yeah, and it just devolves from there. They brawl again. (laughs) I'm right now watching Cobra Kai on Netflix and I was like, which show am I watching at this moment? Because it just feels like teenage boys continually solving their problems by fighting. And it was a weird fight. Like the sound was really muffled and muted and the shots were kind of strange. They kind of sped up and slowed down time strangely. And I don't know if it was because they were trying to show that it was clearly this drunken fight and the experience of being drunk or because they were just like, how can we get through the scene as quickly as possible? It, it can't be unknown to the rest of the ton at this point then that there's something wrong with Simon and Daphne. Daphne's brother is fighting his new brother-in-law in, and literally all the men just sat around and, I don't know, took bets or something. From here, we return to Hastings' house where we see Simon tending his own injuries. Then Daphne comes in and basically ends up taking care of it for him. Their relationship is so confusing. They're just so all over the place. So I actually found this to be a fairly realistic scene, at least in a long-term relationship. I think it's too early into their, not only marriage, but even relationship-wise. If it were a longer relationship, though, I do think it's a very realistic scene where you have a fight with your significant other, you don't fully resolve it, there's no hug and tears makeup scene where people apologize. Reminds me, in some ways, of my own relationship where we have our squabbles. But we get over them pretty quickly and we don't even need to like, unless it's like a serious thing, do some apology anymore. And this is the scene where we learn why he won't have children because of the vow to his father saying that, you know, he wants to take his revenge by not continuing the Hastings line. And I thought Daphne was really eloquent in this scene. She was making really great points. He was like, it's a vow. I took a vow. And she's like, you also took a vow to me. He's like, I did it on his deathbed. She's like, you did it on our marriage bed. And and so I was just like, you know, she's really, I don't know. She's really developing a lot. And I know this whole season revolves around Daphne, but you can really feel it in the way she speaks. And she spells out exactly what the viewer's probably been thinking this entire time, which is like, you're literally fucking up your own happiness for someone who's dead. What are you thinking? And she directly calls him out on this. If your hatred for him outweighs your affection for me, then you're right, we're over. And I think she's starting to accept that this marriage might be dead in the water. I think what's interesting here is as we're seeing Daphne grow, we actually see Simon regress a little bit. Right at the end of this conversation, he struggles to speak. I think it's because he's his stutter is back. And we're moved along again to a quick Daphne and Marina scene where Marina calls Daphne unworldly because she didn't get Simon to sign the letter as well to the general, so there's no way he would reply to just a woman. I understand that it, it kind of shocked Daphne when she'd done something you know, so nice for Marina to then be called unworldly, but on the other hand, I think Marina had really gotten her hopes up again. It was her last ditch effort, and now it's completely lost again. Like She thinks there's no point in hoping anymore. Daphne got her hopes up and dashed them all over again. And I think that's, by the way, this is the part where we most see Marina feel hopeless and there's no point anymore. And here you see her kind of accepting defeat. This is a scene between Anthony and Colin where Anthony apologizes to Colin for his comments. I do think that Anthony displayed one of the traits that you asked Daphne to display in an earlier episode. You wish that Daphne would have been more honest with Eloise about her shortcomings and her worries. And here Anthony admits that he's still a work in progress. Which I thought was like, this is exactly what you were asking for, Kat. Like, Mm -hmm. you should like him a bit more. But then he also tells her, you know, you're going to forget her in a minute and it'll be like you were never in love at all. Was this not the worst breakup advice you've ever heard? Or, you know, like, 
Can you imagine if you just broke up with someone and your sister or best friend is telling you, don't worry about it, you're, you're going to forget about him in a second. And you're like, that's not really what I came to you to hear. Yeah, I've totally gotten this advice before. I will not call uh, who I got it from, but I've heard this before. <laughs> it's not surprising. In the next scene, we have Eloise getting ready for her debut at a concert, and they're not waiting for the next season because Eloise so wants to speak to the Queen and bring her her new theories about Lady Whistledown being a tradesperson. One really interesting thing that stood out to me in this scene is that you can actually tell Lady Bridgerton has really grown also, where she asks Eloise, are you sure? Are you ready? If you're not, that's totally okay. And I think in part this is because she's just lost Daphne, who's maybe her favorite child, But also it's her learning from the mistakes she made with Daphne in terms of not preparing her adequately in advance. Also preparing for the concert are the Duke and Daphne, and Daphne is checking her belly, trying to, I think she's probably just imagining like, oh, what if I am pregnant? And Simon sees her doing this. Yeah, he asks like, are you ready? And and she says, I am, and like looks him directly in the eye. And I was like, oh, okay, double meaning. Like she's ready for the concert, but she's also reminding him that like she's not giving up on this. Uh, side of her argument. At the concert, we see Benedict and Granville meeting up again, and Benedict is just so confused about Granville being in love with another man. And you really get to see Granville talking about how it takes a lot of courage to live outside the expectations of society, and it's such a huge risk to be living as a gay man in Regency era England. It kind of just reminds you that this episode is really about marriage relationships outside of the standard, outside of what society maybe expects them to be. And I think one of the interesting points that Benedict brings up is why is Lord Weatherby still courting young women if you two are in love? Honestly, for me, what it made me think is like, talk about marriages and secrets and not knowing your intended secrets before you get married. Like, if Lord Weatherby marries one of these young ladies, and I think he's actually talking to Cressida in this scene, like, that is a much bigger marriage problem in my mind than Marina's being pregnant coming into a marriage. Like, if you marry someone who has zero sexual attraction to you and never will, I think they kind of glossed over this and just talked about how it's, like, impossible to be a gay man in this society. But I also felt for the potential wife and partner to a gay man in this society. What I understood here was Benedict's like, what if Weatherby's wife isn't in on it? Is that honorable? And like, I actually feel like Benedict, like, who cares? The punishment for these men, if they are to be found out, is either castration or death. Like, I don't care about the woman's feelings at this point. Yeah, I am still coming to terms with what I think of this. But it did make me wonder how much Granville's wife was in on it before they got married or before they got engaged. I don't know how you can be that open with someone. Even like when Colin asked Marina to tell him beforehand, like she couldn't do that. Like, you know, like how can you trust someone to hold your secrets? Yeah. Okay, we get a quick, quick another Eloise in the Queen scene where Eloise is just painfully awkward again. Gives her quick description to the Queen of like, it's it's a trade person. Like, you know, it's not a servant. I figured it out. And the queen's not here for it. But it was, I was like, why is Eloise have a notebook for that little revelation? Like, she doesn't need a whole notebook to carry around to tell the queen that. So here's my theory. In every other scene with the queen, Eloise is so awkward. And this is the first time we see her being somewhat articulate. I think she had written down a script, like prepared exactly what she wanted to say to the queen in that notebook. Because then afterwards, when the queen is like, is that it? She's super awkward again. I guess, okay, I can see it. So it doesn't help enough, apparently, you know, like, it's one thing if you're like, all this and this and this and like, it's Lady Danbury, you know, like, I think if you had a really good accusation at the end, it would have been fine. But since she gives her something not very helpful, you know, moved on. This is the first time Eloise realizes, I just want to find this person out because I admire them. And also I want to help my friend. The queen has more malicious intent. And that scares Eloise. Well, Eloise is trying to blackmail Lady Whistledown. It's not just all innocent. I, you know, help friend equals threaten to reveal her identity unless you write something nice about my friend's family. Then we have Eloise and Benedict leave the ball together. And do you see that? Okay, I think we kind of already know this from previous episodes, but they're each other's favorite siblings. So that's kind of nice that, you know, even though Eloise and Daphne aren't best friends, 
Eloise and Benedict are really close and Daphne and Anthony are really close. Kind of nice. I guess that's what happens when you have a family of eight siblings. You can't be super close to all of them. Yeah, I I found this funny. He's like, I'm not bound by the rules of society, but don't tell mom. Okay. <laughs> no, he, I was thinking I'm like, all the Bridgerton boys are the same. They all need someone to give them like a hard lecture or like badmouth them for them to change any action of themselves. So like from here, he gets laid on by Granville, and then he immediately goes and picks up who other than Genevieve. But (laughs) Eloise also has a little bit of an epiphany here. We don't know exactly what she's realized, but the lead into this is that Genevieve says, like, everyone's at the party except for the Featheringtons. And then you can see the wheels turning in Eloise's head, but we don't get an answer here exactly to what she's realizing. I think it was, at least to me, it was pretty obvious that she was suddenly like, is Genevieve Lady Whistledown? And I'm glad that she had that sudden question because I actually thought it was her at the beginning of this episode when they're having that talk when Eloise is getting fitted. I thought she was trying to signal to Eloise or at least have some sort of secret pact between them that yes, she is Lady Whistledown. And even in front of Lady Bridgerton, they're having this conversation where they both kind of acknowledge they're in on this secret. But I think it turns out Eloise didn't realize that until this carriage ride. So from here, this is kind of like the climax of the episode. The music is building. We have Marina in the kitchen brewing a a tea. We're pretty sure it's probably an abortion tea or that she's trying to kill herself. It's one of the two. Like, you know, it's it's not a good tea. I would say, I was like, that's kind of a pretty tea. Like, it's very pink and pretty for having such a malicious intent. And I think this scene directly came from her conversation with Daphne, where she feels like she's just completely out of options. I assumed that it was an abortion tea, not a poison for herself. It's That's an interesting point that you brought up. I was also like, how did Marina know about this tea? Like, she gets so little guidance from anyone about how even to have a kid like how does she know like combining these things will make me have a miscarriage i don't know okay plot hole but <laughs> from there yeah the climax continues and we're back at the concert and anthony sees sienna with another man i'm so mad like move on man like you this is embarrassing let her live her life that's what he's not doing right he's sort of like him staring at her it makes her so uncomfortable you can see it and this is the kind of thing that if this was happening to me i'd be like this man needs to go. Right, because with this new guy, she's actually out in public at a concert together with him, something that Anthony never did with her and expressly like kept the relationship kind of to the bedroom. So props for her for finding a guy who's willing to take her out in public and be seen with her. So from here, we get back to Marina, we see more mixing ingredients. I think the more interesting scene is between Simon and Daphne here, where he actually moves to take her hand. And I was like, she looks really smug about this. I was pleased by that but it also was kind of surprising that you know the duke was willing to make this gesture kind of out of nowhere i guess because they'd had their version of a makeup scene the evening before even though it kind of ended again in conflict where she was like let's make a baby and he was like no 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 here's why not and she's like okay that's a really stupid reason it sounds like we're going to end our marriage I thought this part was weird too. Maybe realistic though. Like after you have a really big fight and you're like, oh no, we're going to break up and you suddenly are super stressed trying to make things better again. This impending sense of doom (laughs) through this music building made me feel so sad. Like, and especially right here, we get to see the look in Daphne's eyes when she realizes that her period has started. I, I felt so bad for her. Like I felt my heart drop seeing this and we quickly pan over to the Featheringtons and see that... Penelope has found Marina collapsed on the floor. Yeah, there is just a lot happening. Yeah. I mean, and I think we have Vivaldi's four seasons playing up until kind of these big moments. So, you know, it's a very dramatic piece of music. And Liz, you can tell me if it's not that, but I think it was four seasons. Yeah, I think it was. It might have been spring because they're, they're technically four pieces. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's notable. Yeah. And I know none of us have experienced so far wanting a child. And so I think a lot of us, if any time, we're probably hoping our period starts, if that was ever the case for us. But I can only imagine how disappointing this is. It made me like really feel for my friends that I know who have struggled. But I feel like Daphne just portrayed it really well. Like your heart went out to her in that moment. Really dumb question, but I guess they don't wear underwear or something because... Also, that was like a lot of blood at once. I, I, you know, when I first saw it, I thought maybe she was having a miscarriage. 
Like that was so much blood for the beginning of a period. I guess we don't know here, but yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if they wear underwear. I don't, we need someone who knows more about fashion. They do. What, what what happened in episode five? Did we see anything? We saw a corset and skirts. We didn't yeah, see her underwear. So. We saw, you know, I think when the Duke removed his trousers, there was nothing there except what he was very proud of, right? I mean, that and even like when the Duke goes down on her all the time, like he's never like struggling to move some things. Maybe she's going commando. My dumb question here was, did the whole theater hear her screams or just him? I actually was wondering if he even heard it. Like, it, I know it's overplayed. It sounds like he's hearing it, but realistically, we have no idea how far away that bathroom is. But it did make me, I wonder that exactly. I'm like, is he hearing this? So I think he actually did hear it. I'm pretty sure because they had that box that it was just their private parlor for their box area. That's why she wasn't really too worried about other people coming in. It's the back room to their box area. I can only imagine he could probably hear it. Also, it's only separated by a curtain. And again, thank God for Lady B, like Mother of the Year Award, sees that something's wrong and immediately goes running for her. And she really needed her mom in this scene. And that's the way that episode seven ends. So for this episode, let's talk about our favorite scenes. Who wants to go first? My favorite scene was the Lady Danbury married women's party. I got married recently. I hope I get invited to one of these. It just looked like so much fun, not just the free-flowing alcohol and gambling and everything, but it was also nice for Daphne to have a moment to be reassured by the other women that it's okay. No marriage is perfect. I really liked when Daphne tells off Simon, where she's like, this this is dumb logic. Because I just feel like it's the first time in this entire series to use cats. She's definitely not simple-minded. She like has this right. Absolutely. Stand up for yourself, girl. And yeah, good for her. It's been a while since I've called her simple-minded. If you, if I don't think I'd noticed before. But you're <laughs> I was going to say something earlier when Marina calls her out and she's like, you didn't get the Duke's signature. I was like, this is the one time I agree with Kat. Like, so simple-minded. Like, how could you not think of that? <laughs> My favorite scene was also a Daphne scene with Marina, actually, where she's telling Marina that you got to get Sir George involved in this, like don't let him go live his life freely when he's done this. I guess I sound like a Daphne fangirl, and I know Kat is a Marina fangirl, but this scene was really powerful. Well, that was episode seven. Thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Mm -hmm.